Today's a day of uh, new beginnings for Emma and Ronnie, marking the end of something and being prayed for for the new beginning that lies ahead of them. For um, Matt and Grace announcing that a new begin- beginning is coming. For Felicia this afternoon um, with Daniel, the new beginning of baptism. And for Sarah and Peyton, a new beginning. A recognition that actually this community of people really matters. That God matters. That you can come to church without being dedicated, so why go through dedication? Well, because it matters. It's a bigger picture. There's a new beginning. So just for a few moments, I want to read something from the Bible and think about this idea of new beginnings and just explore for a moment what new beginnings look like when we read and we think and we reflect on where we're up to. If you're going to follow with me, it's in John's Gospel, chapter 3, but that's okay. You might just want to listen as I read it. John, chapter 3. There was a man... He was a Pharisee, and he was named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who's come from God, because no one could perform the signs you're doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born again. How can anyone be born again when they're old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they can't enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You shouldn't be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You're Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and don't you understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we've seen, but still you people don't accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things, and you don't believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one's ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God didn't send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever doesn't believe stands condemned already because they've not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Lights come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. All those who do evil hate the light and won't come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But those who live by the truth come into the light so it may be seen plainly that what they've done has been done in the sight of God of God. It's kind of an interesting story. It's not always clear what Jesus is getting at 
but it's based around this central encounter that Jesus has with this Pharisee, this man who had real standing in the community. A man who was, oh, it's sort of like, it it was like a counsellor, a local counsellor in in the community. Religious, well-to-do, people would think well of him. And he comes at night to meet Jesus. Came at night for all sorts of reasons. Possibly because it's the time when you have free time. I want to explore something. I don't want to be in a rush about this. But it also could be simply because he didn't want people to see him meeting Jesus. Because Jesus is like a renegade. Jesus is not well thought of. Jesus is a maverick. Jesus, you can't quite capture. He does weird things. He's already changed water into wine at weddings. He does things that are unexpected. You can't quite hold him. So maybe Nicodemus thinks, I'll come at night, just in case anyone's watching me. Nicodemus starts, and his first statement to Jesus is, you must be really good, because you couldn't do these things if you weren't working with God. And Jesus kind of goes for the jugular. It's almost like Jesus says, oh, forget all your flattery. I tell you, you can't see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. If I were Nicodemus, I'd be going, whoa, I was just complimenting you. And Jesus says, let me direct a conversation here with you. Let me be in charge of this conversation. You're going to get in on this, Jesus says to Nicodemus. You're going to have to be born again. Born again Christians. Sometimes if you're you're on a train or a bus or a plane and you sit next to someone and they go, hello, and you go, hello, and they go, I'm a born again Christian. You're kind of praying, is there an empty seat somewhere else? (laughs) Because you know this could be a long journey. (laughs) Born again Christians, they just don't have, it's like they have that look in their eye, don't they? That sort of, oh good, (laughs) we're on a flight, (laughs) you can't get out. (laughs) Born again Christians, it's kind of like a phrase that's been stuck with us. But it comes from here, it comes from this passage. It's not the only metaphor that's used about Christians, but it's a really good one when you're talking to someone like Nicodemus. Because Nicodemus is powerful, as I said. He's well-to-do. He's thought well of in religious circles. And he thinks he's got it all together. And the other thing about Nicodemus is that he will have studied a lot And he knows a lot. And it's interesting that with this man, Jesus says, you need to be born again. You need to become, you need humility. You need to lay down your position. You need to learn a new way. You need to start again. And Nicodemus says to Jesus what everybody would say to Jesus. How can you be born again? I can't. He's like, I think, I think Nicodemus knew what Jesus was doing. He's just like playing for time. 
I can't, I can't, I'm, I'm kind of hesitating because I'm in church, but it's in the Bible, so I'll say it. I can't go back into my mum's womb. And Jesus says, no, you're right. You need to be born of water and born of spirit. And what Jesus is talking about is baptism and receiving the spirit. Now, because we've just sort of dived in at chapter 3 in John's gospel, it's not clear. You've got a kind of John, when he's writing his gospel, he's writing so you might understand something about Jesus. He's kind of expecting you to be able to remember what's just happened in the previous few pages. One of the things that happened was that one day Jesus was queuing up to be baptized. John the Baptist was in the wilderness baptizing people. And can you imagine it? People were just queuing up because it was like a revival going on in the wilderness. And uh, can you imagine Jesus in line? Because that's exactly what it was, just in line. Can you imagine being in front of him and waiting and going, where are you from? Um, I'm (laughs) technically at the moment, from Galilee. Oh, what are you doing here? I'm coming to get baptized. Aren't you the good guy? Yeah, yeah, I'm the good guy. Well, why are you getting baptized? I'm getting baptized because it's the right thing to do. Imagine being John the Baptist. And you spot Jesus. Now you've known about Jesus all your life. He's your cousin. And you've, you've heard about the miracle with the wine and the water. In fact, before Jesus was kind of like in his public ministry, you were the one saying, there's going to be one. I'm not the main thing here. Jesus is the main thing. And he's going to do some remarkable stuff. And you're standing there in the water. And Jesus comes towards you. And Jesus says, I want to get baptized by you, John. And everything in you is going, no, I need to get baptized by you. And Jesus says, no. Let me get baptized. John the Baptist pushes him down and brings him up. And at that moment, something remarkable happens. It's kind of like people begin to hear this voice that says, this is my son. It's like God speaks and says, that's my son. The Spirit's on him. That's the one you've got to listen to. He's mine. You turn the page. And you hear Jesus speaking to someone else saying, you need that for yourself. You need to know the voice that says, you're mine. This summer, some of us are going to be in airports. And uh, it feels... You know, you go to an airport and you know what it's like if you go on holiday and uh, you, some, you need all this security stuff. They just don't let you take anything in, do they? Sort of like, you, and you see the mountains of bottles of water that people have got and perfume and aftershave. I'm really cynical. I wonder whether at the end of the day they're going, oh, good. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Does anybody go through that bin at the end of the day going, we've got Chanel? Um, There's some stuff you can't take with you. You've got to leave it behind. And it doesn't matter who you are. It really doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you're in a business suit going in first class or if you're in shorts and flip-flops in cattle class 
on Ryanair. God bless you. All the best. It really doesn't matter the stuff you have to leave behind. And Jesus says to Nicodemus, if you want to start again, the stuff you've got to leave behind, you just can't take it with you. That sense of knowing everything, that sense of being in control of everything, that sense of being your own master of your own destiny, you can't take it with you. Nicodemus, everybody thinks you're the most important person in the community. What God invites you to is start again. Be born again. And Jesus explains very briefly how that works. You heard me read it. He says, no one's gone to heaven except the Son of Man. And Nicodemus would understand that at that point, Jesus is talking about himself. And then Jesus reminds Nicodemus of an old story that Nicodemus would know. It was like an old Jewish story from one of the early books of the Bible. And Jesus says, do you remember when Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness? And, and for us, we're going, oh, I don't know that story so well. But Nicodemus would go, I remember that story. It was a time when we were all in the wilderness and people were dying of plague. And Moses came and he got a snake and he lifted it up. And it seems odd, but he said, and, and it was like a sign to people. And Moses said, if you look at the snake, you'll be saved. You won't die. And those who looked were saved. And Jesus says, well, just like that happened all those years ago in our ancient history, so now the Son of Man, me, I will be lifted up. Now, really, one of the interesting things about reading when John's writing through his gospel, he uses that phrase a lot because it's like a glorified word. I'll be lifted up. But those of us who know the end of the story know that this lifting up is going to look a little odd because it's going to involve that, a cross. And in the Roman world, to be hung on a cross was the most shameful thing that could happen to you. It wasn't just execution, it was like shame. I don't know whether we have the same today. I don't think we've got anything that would speak of the same kind of shame that would be brought upon you. I don't know. You might want to think about that. But in those days, to be hung on a cross was like the worst of the worst that could happen to you. And yet, what happens is, Jesus says, I'm going to be lifted up, and on the cross, that will be where I'm glorified, because that's the means of all this newness. So all the stuff that they can do to me, all the rubbish, I'll take and the newness will come because I've, I've been crucified and I will rise from the dead. God, Jesus explains, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. It's like, that's the deal. 
if there's one verse that you've seen around the place, it's that verse, isn't it? You've seen it at football matches. You've seen it on Brazilian footballers' shirts when they score, which is often quite a lot of times, so you see it quite a lot. John 3.16. It's like, that's the verse that nails it for us. And the reason you see it on railway sidings or on back of buses or on Brazilian football shirts is because if there was one verse that tried to explain what all of this is about, it's that verse. God so loved the world. He doesn't hate it. He's not against it. He's not finished with it. He so loves it that he gave his one and only son, Jesus. That for those who believe in him, for those who trust in him, they'll not perish, they'll have eternal life. They'll live not only forever, but they'll have new life now. And it's like Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, so stop wrestling. Stop fighting. Stop pushing God away. Accept him. And what's life look like then? Well, Jesus says this, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit, because they've got a new engine inside. They've got a new dynamism about them. This new life, the Spirit. Why does God do it? Because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him shouldn't perish but have everlasting life. That phrase, continue the conversation, is a good, a good line to finish with. Because the conversation continues for Emma and Ronnie as they go to Kenya. Following Jesus because this is their sense of what God's got for them next. For Grace and Matt as they take on new responsibilities in the Northeast eventually because they know they're loved and because they want to demonstrate that love for others. For Felicia getting baptized this afternoon, recognizing that actually it's made a personal change in her life. For Sarah, new house today, dedication, another step. But all our new starts without that sense of God with us, it's just like us trying harder to turn over a new page. But a new start that says, I accept and I receive the forgiveness you offer me is the way that actually you get that new engine that enables you to live differently. And one last thing. What about Nicodemus? What happened to him? Well, in chapter 3 of John, you're not told. It's kind of, he just disappears. But in chapter 19 of John's Gospel, he pops up again, just really briefly. But when they've crucified Jesus, they take his body off the cross. And there's two really prominent citizens who say, we'll deal with that criminal. It must have taken a lot of 
courage to that, a lot of guts, because people would look down on them. Why are you? It, you know, there's certain crimes in our society at the moment that if you say, I'm, I'll identify with who's done it, they'll be scrolling things on your walls. And that's what it was like. And there was two guys who were really well known, and they said, we'll care for the body. And one was a guy called Joseph of Arimathea, and one was Nicodemus.